0: Hello, and welcome to this fireside chat here at Ocean Waves. I'm Anthony Smith, lead economist here at Freight Waves, and I'm joined by a special guest here, Sal Mercagliano. He is an associate professor of history over at Campbell University, and I'm excited to have him on today. Sal, thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, it's great to be with you, Anthony.
0: So, Sal, you are dressed for the occasion. I love the tie, and I also love all your content. Um, For those who may not know, you have an active Twitter, active YouTube And you really have been outlining what's been going on within the maritime situation for the past few months.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that's really important to do is to contextualize the information that's out there concerning the shipping industry. One of the things that I find being a historian, a former merchant mariner, and a kind of a a, a commentator on maritime industry policy is to get it out there into the common people's you know, lexicon. It's hard. People don't understand shipping. And, and to put that into a context they understand, I think it's a difficult thing.
0: So that's one of the big things is the history of the industry. And so one of the big things that I've re- definitely heard throughout the supply chain, not just within Maritime, but really the entire supply chain is that there have always been these issues kind of popping up from time to time. It's just now things have been really amplified due to COVID-19. Can you talk to a little bit some of, uh, talk to some of the uh, issues that you we've seen historically that have just been amplified throughout this pandemic?
1: Yeah, I think we're, what we've seen before, Anthony, is, is really isolated events. I mean, we've seen hurricanes and storms that have disrupted supply chains. We, uh, you know, one of the most recent ones was the uh, cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline, which had an impact on fuel distribution in the Southeastern part of the United States. But what really separates this from previous ones is they tend to be isolated. They tend to be finite. So, you know, within a set period of time, you can rectify it. Even when we've had, you know, historic damage done to a port or an infrastructure, we've been able to work around it. But what we're seeing right now is a global impact. And it's not just a global impact, but a prolonged global impact that continually seems to hit new hurdles the way, you know, you talked about COVID being the first thing, but then we're seeing resurgences of COVID, we're seeing port shutdowns, we're seeing typhoons, and, and probably the, the the element I think that's the most unusual right now is the absolute visualization of this issue with the anchorage off LA and Long Beach. Where people are just seeing the the growing amount of fleet of vessels there and the amount of cargo that's there and people are are visualizing that on the receiving end but they're also seeing it on the shelves where there's less supplies than they've seen in the past and everyone's going back to what happened in the summer and and of 2020 when all of a sudden there were huge shortages of key commodities toilet paper paper towels for example
0: and so can we talk about some of those commodity things happening right now so Looking upstream, one of the big things that I'm always watching manufacturing. What's going on upstream? There have been shortages of commodities that have really put a strain on the supply chain, on production, on shipments, things like that. Can you talk to some of the strain on being able to get raw goods even into production areas or into factory areas to even produce these uh, initial goods to have them shipped across seas?
1: Sure. I mean, obviously, you know, one of the things historically we've been able to do is really operate in a supply system that is push-button. You push what you need, and the system flows. And within a set amount of time, 30 to 40 days from Asia, you can have your goods delivered to you at your production facility or at the warehouses you need. And in truth, we've been doing that since the 70s with the introduction of containerization. We've been able to really make almost a seamless progression of goods, freedom of the seas, the fact that the oceans are open to everybody. We've been able to move things without a problem. And as I said before, we've seen... Periodic times where there's a hiccup, you know, labor dispute on the West Coast. We've seen highways close or or most recently railways close because of accidents. But what we're seeing right now is this disruption causing extended delays. And unfortunately, one of the things that we've done is set up our manufacturing and our distribution system to the point where we need, you know, I need these goods to arrive on time because we don't have the warehousing, we don't have the storeroom, we don't have the excess capacity that we once had. Instead, we're taking that capital that we were investing in kind of storage and maintenance and and surplus, and we're applying it to other means. Some companies are operating on very thin margins. If you look at the container companies, for example, the big carriers that are out there, prior to 2008, the big recession, they were doing great. They were booming huge economies all of a sudden. Then post-2008, they were operating on very narrow margins. You know, the news today is container companies are making huge profits. That wasn't the case. Prior to COVID, they were losing money in some cases, and they had excess capacity. And what we're seeing right now is capacity is being pushed, both on ocean carriers and on the inland distribution side. And that's a unique situation. We've seen one or the other, but it's very infrequent that we see both of those come to play. I think I think the, the, the closest historical analogy... We have to this was the oil shortage in the 70s when OPEC cut off supply. And then all of a sudden we sh- we saw gas lines and, you know, unable to keep up with consumption because distribution was such in the United States. We needed that import oil and it wasn't there.
0: One of the things that you mentioned was uh, containers. And so that's been a big topic um, amongst many of the other variables within this entire situation. Can you talk to the importance of not just having the containers, but even making sure that they're in the best position?
1: Well, one of the things we've seen, and, and we need to understand the, the change that has taken place over the past 10 years. In 2013, Maersk introduced the Triple E's, these big, huge, ultra-large container vessels, which fundamentally changed oceanic shipping. Uh, when you introduce a ship that's 18,000 boxes, which is unheard of at the time, it was a huge quantum leap over that, you change the concept of the economy of scale all of a sudden. Again, when you make a vessel bigger, it's cubed. It's it's length times width times depth. And now all of a sudden, you're going from carrying 10 to 12,000 boxes to 18 to now 25,000 boxes. And so that puts a strain on the container system. Prior to you know, COVID too, we were very comfortable with less than container loads. So people were shipping, you know, I always use the analogy of that Amazon box that comes to your house. There are three Amazon boxes and each Amazon box has one thing in it, you know, and you're packing it and unpacking it. We were shipping containers that same way because we had excess capacity. We can do that. Now, all of a sudden, Container companies did several things. They, they got rid of, they got out of the container business. They really didn't want to deal with the containers. They much rather have a distributor or someone else do that. Same thing with chassis. They kind of got out of that because it was hard to guess the amount of chassis you needed. And even container companies got out of this with container ships. They go to a bare minimum what they need for container ships. And they go to these NOOs, these non-operating uh, owners, to kind of lease container ships to fill their fleet up. When they need it almost like a U-haul for vessels. And and so right sizing the fleet has always been a problem. What we're seeing right now is that number one, the shipping capacity is at its max. I mean, if you have anything that floats and carry a container, you can charter it for a huge amount of money. On the land side, containers and chassis were geared to that right, you know, almost the Goldilocks, you know, not too big, not too small, we're aiming right for that middle. And now all of a sudden you're seeing that there's not enough containers and chassis to move, or worse, the repositioning of containers. This is why you hear Gene Soroka in his interview with Time Magazine talking about the biggest export that's coming out of L.A. is air, because they're moving empty containers because that's quicker to reposition in China than loaded export boxes, even though the freight rate's fairly low going you know, east to west across the Pacific. And so we've seen this develop, and it really demonstrates the intricacies of not just the ocean shipping side, but also the land distribution
0: side. And so can we stick on that container and, and the changes within the industry? What are some of the technologi- technological changes that you've seen um, over the past couple of months here?
1: Well, I- obviously, one of the big things is being able to track these containers and be more efficient in the movement of containers. Again, If you look prior to 2019, and we tend to forget this, the container industry was pretty depressed. I mean, the the carriers were coming across, vessels weren't at their full capacity. They were slow steaming across the Pacific because there was no need to get here fast. And so we had a better management and oversight of the containers. But what we missed was the ability to really track containers efficiently. If you look at yards and terminals in Asia, for example, extremely automated tagging boxes, everything is moving almost seamlessly. And then when you come to the United States, it's, it's much more manual, it's much more hand input. And plus, too, you have to remember, too, there was a series of, of pretty nasty cyber attacks on container companies that are extremely leery of just relying completely on technology. And so, you know, after pietia hit Maersk in 2017, you have to get these redundancies put into place. And unfortunately, that slows the system even more when you have a paper trail that has to be backed up by the container trail. Add to it, you had that great story from Laurie and LaRocca talking about the fact that there's not a lot of, of, of you know, uh, internet service and connectivity in some of these yards so that you have black hole areas where you can't, even if you have radio, uh, uh, radio finders hooked to the containers, you don't have service to be able to track them. And unfortunately, when we're in a depressed moment of, you know, trade as we were, you don't tend to spend money on infrastructure. Now everybody's talking about spending money on infrastructure. And unfortunately, now's not the time. You've got to spend it when you're not needed. But now when you need it, it's, it, it's kind of hard to implement.
0: So that's one of the big things I always like to watch for is acting in the right moments uh, or in the right time for the appropriate trend. So one of the big things I've always kind of seen or noted within transportation or freight logistics Um, overall is uh, sometimes an overcorrection, so an oversupply at the wrong time, um, and it's far too late. And next thing you know, rates are pushed down by this oversupply of equipment or um, uh, the wrong correction. Do you see anything at play right now that is playing into, hey, this could turn out to be the wrong move maybe three to four or five years from now?
1: Well, I think one of the things, and from my perspective, looking at the ocean carriers in particular, you know, when your, your average freight rate, when you look at the Baltic Index, and it was running at $1,500 for a box in early 2019, and now it's over 10000 for a box, I don't think we're going to see freight rates go down to that low again. I really don't, because one of the things that we have to understand is over the past 10 years, we've seen consolidation in the carrier companies, the top 10 carriers carry 85% of ocean containers. We've seen consolidations in the ports. One of the big problems we have at LA and Long Beach is it's really the only business on the West Coast in in some ways, not to dog Seattle or Oakland. Uh, And then you see the consolidation in the terminals. And so one of the things I think that the carriers are looking at right now is, listen, we've been competing against each other. We've been fighting for rates and freight. Now we need to position ourselves better to blank sail, cancel sailings, to keep freight rates at a margin where we're making a profit, something that the container companies didn't. And so I think the carriers, which are in these three big alliances, 2M, uh, the Ocean Alliance, and the Alliance, will basically position themselves in a much better position coming out of this, using uh, chartered vessels to fill their need. They'll keep a core fleet of vessels to maintain themselves, but they'll be able to pull into these, 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 uh, brokerages and pull vessels out. But I think also because they're in these alliances, they'll be able to better control freight rates going across. So I don't think we're going to see a, a decline on that. Now, there could be an overcorrection in that. They they may sit there and say, well, we're going to control this and lock it in, and we're going to be in a good position going forward. You always have to worry about the new competitor coming out. You have to worry about the new technologies coming out. And the biggest thing facing the carriers in the future is decarbonization being mandated by IMO 2050. The carriers got going to think about their new replacement fleets. And if there's a technology that comes out that can make all past container ships obsolete, That's a moment of change that you see coming on the future here for containers.
0: That's a really great call out there and looking forward as a really big um, disruptor in the industry, potentially. When we're looking at the mindset of the entire supply chain, one of the big things were, I think you mentioned earlier, building out redundancies um, within the supply chain. Do you think or do do you see any changes happening in the philosophy around just in time? Well, I I think
1: one of the things that you're seeing is that philosophy at home, you know, in the United States is maybe we should, of course, you know, maybe it's a good idea to shift some of that industry back into the United States. Maybe it'd be a good idea to build up the stockpile of goods in the back of the store and and not rely on that truck coming in every morning to replenish the stocks. The, the, The problem I have with that is as long as it's cheaper to manufacture overseas and as long as that cost distribution and that cost shipment across the oceans is is cheap and affordable then i think you're going to do it there was an interesting talk by the the chairman of the fmc the federal maritime commission who's talking about you know even that rate of of cost even if you 10 times the cost of freight coming across how much does that translate into a pair of sneakers or to you know a, a a a piece of furniture or a computer chip coming across now what you have to look at is the entire transportation system and the total cost, not just the ocean shipping, but the warehousing, the, uh, the, the rail, the, uh, the road shipment. And as long as it's enticing to still use that, that's the big issue. Now, the, I would say the exception to this is what we're seeing right now is several big franchises, Costco, IKEA, Home Depot, are going out and chartering smaller vessels to bring across high-value, low-density cargo. And that may be a big disruptor. I I would think, you know, looking long term, one of the things I would love to see is the development of smaller ports along the West Coast that can handle ships, you know, smaller in size than the big 15,000 to 8,000 TEU vessels. That would be a great distribution. It would alleviate some of that congestion coming in. But again, that's got to go hand in hand with development ashore for road and rail. And I think that's the big picture is looking at the entire Transportation system holistically, and not just one element. Looking at ships, one looking at rail, one looking at roads.
0: So, when we're looking at the entire industry right now, there of course, as we mentioned, many variables at play. Um, I think, as you mentioned earlier on, um, usually there were these isolated incidences, and now it just seems to be popping up all at once or very sporadically. Um, when we're looking at the current situation right now, is there any variable that you could see as being a big alleviant? to the current situation, the current backlog, the current log jam that we're seeing right now. Is there any um, magic key that can really kind of help things right now?
1: Well, I give you a couple of them right off the bat that I think can, can change the system right off the bat. So The export of containers, empty containers over export containers that are loaded, one of the things that if, if there's a push to mandate the export of loaded containers over exports, that would slow the system down a bit. The problem we're seeing is empty containers are landing in Asia and they're almost immediately being sent, reloaded, sent back to the ports, and loaded back, which is putting a strain. Again, you have the 70 ships or so off LA Long Beach, but you got to factor in the 30 crossing the Pacific, the, the 100 or so that are anchored off the coast of Asia right now that are coming across. we got to kind of artificially slow the system down. And I think by mandating some exports in there, that does it. The, the dangerous one that's out there is the current energy issue in China with blackouts and just energy shortages that are going on. We're going to see a slowdown in production in China, which will give us a short-term relief. We're going to see the anchorages off LA and Long Beach get smaller, and we're going to think, okay, we're getting caught up. We're getting caught up. But in truth, what we're seeing there is a slowdown in production, which in many ways takes us back to the spring of 2020 when this all kind of started. And we got to be very careful about the fact that if there's a slowdown coming in goods out of Asia, that of course affects Europe. It affects us, affects the world. And then all of a sudden, you may not be able to pull the items you need. Right now, the system we have is All the items we need are here. They're just in ships. We just can't get at them. They're basically here. We're just having an internal distribution issue. If we get into a shortage issue coming from East Asia, for example, that's a whole nother problem because then you're adding weeks to that delay on top of everything. And I think that's the looming issue we really need to keep a close eye on right now.
0: And I think that that really answers my next question for you. I was going to ask you about, is there any kind of underlying trend that isn't quite getting enough attention in your mind, or, or no one's really talking about that, can really be an issue going forward.
1: Well, I can add another one to that because I, I think there's another issue that it's lying under the surface that we've seen. We, we just had World Maritime Day uh, back in September. It's World Seafarer Day is in there, but the seafarers we're relying. You know, the entire world distribution system relies on about 1.3 million seafarers to move the world's goods, and we're seeing issues right now with the fact that if you go back to 2020, there were about a quarter of them to a third, about 400,000 mariners that were sailing long over their relief dates. Uh, typically, you know, foreign mariners employed on these vessels sail for anywhere from two to six months. You saw mariners out there for over a year on a vessel. And understand, a lot of these, these big, huge, massive vessels have very small crews, 20 to 25 crew members on board, work every day. You know, and and you guys do a great job talking about truckers and and rail in the United States, but the foreign mariners, they have no reliefs. they're, They're on board. And one of the things we're seeing is potential for that system to have a breakdown, because if you're unable to get off your vessel because of COVID, because of travel restrictions, because you can't get vaccinations, that means not only are you not getting off your vessel, but then your relief's not coming out, and that relief may find another job. And then when you do get off the vessel, you may not come back to shipping because you were on board a vessel for over a year. And what that means is if you lose the employees to man those vessels like we see in trucking and rail right now, that can have a catastrophic effect on the movement of goods. And again, it's kind of out of the visibility. We don't see it too much. We don't talk about it too much. The United States is doing a great job. They are offering vaccinations to every mariner that comes in. We're doing a very good job at that. we're not prioritizing their ability to do crew changes and fly home and rotate them. And that could have an
0: impact. So I think that's a brilliant point there. And thank you so much for bringing that one up, because it always comes back to employment. And it's one of those things that we don't quite factor in enough at times. Thank you so much for joining me for this, for this fireside chat. Where can people reach out if they want to get in contact, they want to get more of your content, they want to interact or anything like that?
1: Sure. Uh, you're welcome to follow me on Twitter, at uh, Mercogliano S. Uh, I have a very lively uh, Twitter debate, and I love to talk about this stuff. Uh, and as you mentioned, I started a YouTube channel, What's Going On With Shipping, where I post videos two or three every week talking about some stories, focus on some stories from freight waves coming out and always looking at those big issues and kind of kind of peel the onion a little bit more deeper, about 15 to 20-minute videos that talk about the subject in a little bit more detail than typically you get in just a news story.
0: Amazing, Sal. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for the conversation. And thank you all for tuning in. That's going to do for this fireside chat, but stay tuned. There's plenty more content to come.